you have to define your own version of success. Mm. That you could wake up to at six in the morning and say, okay, I'm okay. I'm doing well enough. You know, I'm not going to shut down the business now. Mine is simple. I, I want continuity. I want Tafeta to be existing when my kids grow up to take over, you know, a business or do whatever they want to like. I want them to have an option to even look at the business as something they could consider. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, we have Ayo Adenka of Tafeta Galleries. He runs an incredibly fascinating heritage-led art business that is inspired by the vast history of arts and creative culture coming out of Lagos, Nigeria. He is an incredible student of art and is passionate about West African artists and his focus is West African artists. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did enjoy sitting with Ayo and digging through his experience and life in the art world. So hi Ayo, thank you for coming on to Third Culture Africans. Thank you Zezi for having me. Everyone seems to ask why the name Third Culture Africans and I think this was one of your earlier questions when we sat and had like a chat and I was like oh I'm starting this podcast. And you have to remind me what the answer to that again, again is. <laughs> I remember. So I guess there are a bunch of Africans who are doing amazing things in different industries so whether that's creating a brand creative industries, supporting industries, but essentially moving the needle on culture. And this is a show essentially for us, by us, to have cool conversations, because I think the idea of success is somehow mystified in our culture around how people make it mm. and seemingly make it, right? Mm -hmm. Because at different points, you know, the world might think you're making it, but mm -hmm. you're drowning. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting you in... I think it was, I want to say 2006. I think so, yeah, because I'd already set up the company by then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you were moonlighting <laughs> as an art consultant. <laughs> Absolutely. I was probably moonlighting on my day job as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and you were moonlighting as an art consultant, and I met you through a mutual friend, mm -hmm. and you had said you were an art consultant. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the art scene was very much freeze, mm -hmm the big galleries in London. Mm -hmm. um, and we were essentially immigrant kids mm -hmm. running around London and trying to carve out the space. And you actually took us to Yinka Shonibari's. You took, actually, you I were the one who introduced... an exhibition, yeah. Yeah, you introduced then, yeah. me to Yinka, actually, like him as an artist. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And you were like, oh, come, let's go see this guy. I remember because we're on Marlebone Road, mm -hmm. Vividly, actually. <laughs> Shocking. I can't, I'm sure I can't remember that exhibition, but well done. Yeah, yeah on Marlebone Road. And I never heard of Yinka before at the time, but I think this was at the beginning of his rise. Mm. And so as we're walking, you're describing, you know, the fact that he has this disability mm. and all of these great things. And then I think I ask you, what do you do? And you're like, well, I'm a banker. <laughs> and then I thought, that's odd. But banker turned art consultant. Um, I think it was banker and art. Well, I wasn't a banker. I worked in a bank. Okay. I was in finance. I was in the finance function of a bank. Mm -hmm. So, of course, yeah, that was a core day job. 
But then I was already starting to collect. The mutual friend you spoke about, I yep. think I bought one of his early works. Okay. I was already seeing myself as someone of a semi-sophisticated collector, even though I had been like five pieces. Because I was being asked advice by other people that I didn't start collecting yet. Hence the fact that I started calling myself a consultant. Look, did I have any real consulting gig? Possibly not. That can come on to later. But, you know, when you start giving people advice, you start thinking that, yeah, you know, you know you're something. being consulted. So, yeah, hence the term consultant. Yeah, I think it, 13 years on, the version of you then, if he came to consult for you now... I probably would turn him away straight off. <laughs> <laughs> There's just no point even thinking I can give this guy money to give me advice. Yeah. Um, yeah, because earlier versions are always aspirational. Yeah. Our later versions are more grounded on the reality of the business. Very and, true. And knowledge. Very true. And so you evolved from an art consultant mm. to now the FT making headline Tafeta. Um, oh, that's why I made any headlines in the FT. Well, you've had, you've yeah. had some great articles, mm, mm. even articles around, you know, telling people how to spend it, you mm, know, mm. and you've had some great mentions in the press. I think through Tafeta, I must say that with what you've been able to do, and I'll let you tell everyone about what Tafeta is, mm. but with what you've been able to do, I must say that you were probably one of the first people to start to put contemporary African art mm. in the mainstream for a broader audience and even mm. the African audience, to be fair, where we start to see it in a professional light. Mm. Because I think the early artists like Yinka Shonibar with African heritage were all showing in a more first world European space mm -hmm. till guys like you turned up and made it accessible for other Africans to start to appreciate their work. I mean, whilst I want to take the credit, I always start by saying there were a few more people that came before me, for sure. But then I like the thought culture African angle because I can take some credit for, you know, re-engaging my own peers, our, you know, the immigrant yes. kids, the bankers, the lawyers yeah. with um, contemporary African arts again. Yeah. Now I have a, you know, a gallery and my openings are always full of my previous kind. Yeah. You know, when I was in finance, it's, it's you know, you've got Morgan Stanley guy here, you know, Hence the young guy there, yeah. um, Freshfield, yes. female lawyer there. So those are the kind of professional class of Africans. Yes. That are now, re also re-engaging as well because their parents probably engaged with the arts. Mm -hmm. And then there was a law and then they just discovered it again. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. I guess one of the key things about being a third culture kid, and now third culture African, is we are lots of things, but not really many things in mm. any in anywhere. So mm. I thought it would be fun to include in the episodes saying our names properly. Because, you know, you're Ayo, <laughs> you know, Adeinka, when people introduce you. Yeah. But I guess in the African sense of the word. It's Ayo, Adeinka. There you go. Um, I mean, to be honest, there are people in Lagos that probably get that wrong as well. True. Remember, it's diverse cultures. Yeah. You have... Strong um, groupings of Igbo people in Lagos, mm -hmm. Nigeria. They don't go pronounce my name correctly. No. Um, so internationally, you do get it pronounced incorrectly. But some people like me have had practice. 
and by your name being pronounced correctly before you even came to the UK. And so, you just somehow accept it, right? Yeah, At some yeah, point, yeah. you just go, oh, yeah, I'm Ayo. Depends on what, I'm, what kind of checks you're writing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I choose and, my buttons carefully. And the name Tafeta? Yes. What, what does that mean for you? That's more exciting for me because Tafeta, isn't it? You know, yeah. Like, oh, you're Gallery Tafeta. While you're at Christie's or Sotheby's. Exactly, and we'll yeah. get to all of, all yeah, of yeah, those yeah. great things later. Yeah, yeah, but then it's pronounced Tafeta. Mm-hmm. It's a derivation. It's actually a shortening of a Yoruba phrase, "on tafeta," okay. which literally means the things we want to sell. Nice. Right. So the gallery always had the commercial bent from the name, mm-hmm. but I always tried to choose a name that had that, you know, um, duality to its pronunciations and the fact that it means tafeta, the material, yes. which was a, you know, was always used as a medium for painting mm-hmm. historically. So mm-hmm. there's that. It's something to do with paintings, historical historicized word Mm -hmm. but it's also a yoruba word that means this is the commercial angle we're taking nice so pulling in elements of i guess heritage absolutely yeah which seems to be a common thread actually through all our guests who are doing cultural things Mm. i think the idea of taking what is beautiful and Mm. and and in some ways sometimes overlooked Mm. and creating out of that a business, mm. a vision that other people can appreciate and have conversation with, I think is the unique part because I think there are galleries out there, but what you do is a little bit more than just being an art consultant and owning a gallery and mm. trying to sell people work. Mm. You're passionate about the artists that you work with. Um, <laughs> very, actually. I remember the first time you showed me Babajide. Yes, yes, yes. One His of my work. Youngest artist, yeah. And I was blown away, mm. um, but at the same time, I was like, it's not political enough for my taste. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But his craftsmanship mm. and the artistry in what he does, like yes. digging through the mud to mm. find somebody like that. How does that process work for you? I think one of the lucky things, and I'm sure you'll get this with some of the other people you're going to be interviewing, is subconsciously we're delving into our cultural heritage mm. without even realizing that we're making it a point of departure. It's vast, the history we have to tap into. Mm. It's vast, you know, the things that have happened before us. We have a long history of, you know, artistic production, you know, writing, um, oral stories. Yeah. It's inevitable that after some time of actually even encountering it in a minimal way, you can mm-hmm. make something of it. Now, for me, it's easier because I have artists that are actually doing extensive research mm. into that, those histories. Those, you know, you spoke about Babajide, you have Victor Ipuku's artistic production is based on the NCBD yes. writing systems from ancient Igbo land nice. uh, or Benin um, straddles. Yes. You've got Ninkashirinari um, who is interrogating cultural transitions in the Western, yeah. you know, Africa. Babajide is looking at history of the Yorubas extensively. You know, with that pool of resource, right, making commerce of something that you want to share anyway makes it passion, you know, makes it a passion. Hmm. You know, I keep, I, nowadays, I, I, you know, I try to elevate what I'm doing to a calling. Yes. Because I promise you, I mean, living in a world of finance is probably easier to make money. Yeah. Than being an art dealer. For me, the show is about showing a different side of success where it's mm. about purposeful work. Yes. Because our businesses are not just businesses. No. Our businesses have purpose within we, them. We spoke about that, right? If our businesses were just businesses, we'd be like, Why this are we doing this? Not working. Yeah, Why are like... we doing this for? Our peers are enjoying <laughs> exactly. and living large. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think 
the purpose behind the work, I mm. think, is the interesting part because I think that is the magic source to the success. Yes. It's also the fulfillment whilst you're trying to build the success. Mm. It's what keeps you going, to be honest. It really does. Yeah, because, you know, we look, you sometimes just look at it from a purely, I'm, I'm trained as an accountant. Yeah. Look at it from a purely accounting perspective. I was speaking to a, a, a dealer friend the other day at this finance, and she was saying, we're literally running a retail business without retail um, margins. Yes. And, you know, looking at it from just that core perspective of how to run a business, you're, this is never going to work. You know, I also tease that as an art dealer, you're always going to be poorer than your client. Always. Always. So always. there's nearly no aspiration in the business. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I remember, I remember that one of the first times where we talked about, I guess, our mm. role, right? Yeah. Because I guess the African context is you are the boss. Mm. So when people come and we're both like, if I have to beg, if I have to pour you a cup of tea, mm -hmm. whatever you want, because as the customer, yeah. you are gold. Yes. Yeah. And always gold. Yeah, yeah. And in our case, in my case especially, the customer is also not just taking that position of being more important, yeah. but it's also a lot more liquid. Yes. You know, because it's spending its disposable income on yes. something I'm earning a margin on. Yes. You know, and this that, you know, sometimes they're quite pricey items. So quite. Yeah, it's important from quite. that perspective. <laughs> quite. No, I mean. <laughs> Be modest. The African art space. Yes. Is still a steal. In comparison. In comparison. In comparison yeah. to, you know, the likes of your, you know, what happens at Christie's. And, and I think we'll get to that. I, yeah. Let's dial back to. I guess we've kind of thrown into modern day because, yeah. you know, we know each other and we're friends, but yes. I would love to dial back into early, early, early IO. Mm -hmm. So how does it begin family life? I guess because we're all in so many ways, our passions and where we decide to go is very much rooted in our family life and mm. where we come from. Mm. Sometimes our positioning in that, the is, influence of our parents. We just try and find those stories because they make a better narrative. I, I think the journey to becoming mm. makes a difference i guess yeah I guess. um so you know you grew up in what state in lagos um i'm very much a lagos boy. Lagos, yeah. uh, <laughs> fully actually <laughs> so very much a lagos boy with a with a, a mom and a dad initially but we lost my dad early wow. so there's also that single mother narrative i yes. guess you throw that in so it sees it also that helps because you see someone working hard for you yes and then you pick up the notion that nothing comes easy mm -hmm. and you learn to work harder. Um, I'll put that to that. My mom wanted to be an artist. Oh, wow. She actually spoke to my dad about it and he said, paraphrasing, you're going to starve. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. So she ended up in banking and made a bit more money than he did eventually because he was a teacher. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, good advice. From a creative perspective, you know, nothing you saw, came out of that. You saw her, her, her passion for I saw her passion for the arts. And she started collecting one of my uncles who is a known art historian now. So okay. that's my, you know, first um, example of collecting as a family. Okay. And then we moved on. You know, I came here. No, I did my degree in accounting, qualified, wanted to um, do my ACCA, which is professional qualifications, decided to come to the UK to do that. Yeah. And ended up in finance. I worked about 10 years in and out of, no, actually 10 years straight in the industry. When I say in and out, it was 10 as a permanent staff. Some of it was as a consultant in mm -hmm. the financial space. Mm -hmm. You know, started collecting myself personally in the UK. Yeah. And after some time, again, based on that relationship with, you know, peers. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, I could actually talk to people about this. Yeah. And I could actually make some margin on this. Like, I remember buying early modernist work from Germany. And yeah. selling to my friends in Lagos. 
Oh, wow. Because there was a massive price arbitrage. Yes. You know, the guys in Germany did not really care for what they were selling. They bought it historically in the 60s and 70s. Mm. It didn't mean very much to them. The guys in Lagos always need those artists because we were taught about those artists yes. in school. And, you know, so you could buy others, you know. <laughs> you could make some good margin back then. Nice. The auction houses came and spoiled that for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, what's so interesting is about the evolution. Like, mm. I guess the starting out, you kind of touched on that around, you know, it was your passion for art and collecting mm. that began, I guess, what became Tafeta. Yes. Um, but somewhere in between that, I think most people always ask, and you probably get this in every interview or every, you know, when they send you those questions for editorials. Mm. And it's like, how did you start? Mm. That question is, you know, and and they always make it sound like they don't care about the financial mm. parts of how you started. Yeah. But the real question is financially, how did you begin your journey? Yes, you had a great job in the city, but you also had responsibilities. Yes, and I'm sure I didn't have a stack of savings anywhere that, you know, that drove the starting. I, I think there was not very much thinking. There wasn't a kind of like Eureka moment that said, okay, this is it, I'm setting up a company. Mm. I'd already set up a limited company. As we know. all did. Exactly. That's your true as a Nigerian. Vision. Just, get, just set something up in case you need to. Vision, vision. Exactly. We have the vision. Exactly. So, and then I started advising as well. I think one of the key elements to the success story was um, Bonhams wanted to start an auction mm. on African arts. Yeah, and that's I was already, African now, right? Yes. And I was already knowledgeable enough that time to actually act as a consultant to them. So this is circa 2000 and what? This is 2008. I think so, the actual sale was 2009. So Tafeta 2005. Yes. Tafeta in, yeah. in quotations registered as business, yeah. moon, <laughs> moonlighting. So three years later, but at this point, you're still working in the bank. Yes, I am. I'm still working in finance for sure. But you're grinding on the weekend at every Yeah, opening. trying to make as many shows. I, and back then I saw more exhibitions. Okay. You know, I, I traveled more for arts because I didn't have to, you know. You went out lane. Exactly. <laughs> 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 it doesn't come from something else. I could actually do a bit more. But then it was also, it was also building your base of knowledge. Yeah. Right. And building a contact base that helped later as well. Because mm -hmm. people started to see you. I mean, in all modesty, I was one of the few people of my background in many of the spaces I went to. Um, you know, being a person of color or being Nigerian, you're just not seeing many people around art parties in, back yeah. then. Um, so you built a visibility Mm -hmm. You talk to the right people. Mm -hmm. You knew a bit about what you were talking about. Then you could advise people like Bonhams. And at that point, then I needed a vehicle mm -hmm. to take fees. I was being paid. Yes. Um, even though it was just commissions on sales yeah. for consignments. Um, and after that, you get more confident. Yeah. You've traveled to Lagos once or twice as, an, um, as a consultant for a known auction house in the UK. Did you have that vision? Consultants, as consultants. Well, it was good to actually show up and, you know, like, to... And handing out the business cards in the early days is exciting. Very exciting. And I remember then as well, I had introductory letters from Bonhams. Nice. Introduced me as the consultant for the um, African House. Yeah, I mean, that... Clout. It does help in Lagos, doesn't it? Yeah. That place is very titularly yeah. inclined. So Clout. the more you're seen to be a part of a big organization. And I could also name, you drop the fact that, oh yeah, day job is Morgan Stanley. This is just what I do on the side. So oh, all that actually dead. helped the branding. Nice. Early days. Look, this is all the... In 2019, they'll say package it. Thank you. And I was going to say, this is all the very for real realities. No, but, um, the, but... but there's something about how I would say almost everyone on the show, mm. the evolution into 
into who we are now and yes. how seemingly that success arrives. Yes. So you describing Africa now and your relationship with a huge house like Bonhams. Yeah. But your reality of that versus someone who picked up that FT article mm. is completely different to what you've just described. Because to you, you were still hustling. Yeah. yeah and yeah, of thankfully, Bonhams thought you were just a cool black guy yeah, who yeah. was happy to give you that letter. Mm hmm. And there's something about time and place yes. that plays a huge role. And they're small building blocks. It's it's never this huge, hey, I had this vision. Yes. And I've gone from banking to this huge success. And some of those building blocks, you don't even realize the enormity of it until, you know, after the effect, until you're using it as your LinkedIn credit line. Uh, you're right. It, it, many things... It's not just by chance, though. No. It happens by being there. And um, there's a lot of provenance. You know, mm -hmm. you have to speak to the right people and you have to be taken seriously by the right people. And you could easily be dismissed. Yeah. And you, you know. just described being a student of art. Exactly. You would and travel to the shows. Yes. You would, you would do what it took. And I try. I mean, then I used to consume volumes of book on African art. I have no art historical background. Mm. So I had to learn very quickly. But I had to learn with an element of specificity that actually helps as well. Yeah. I'm not trying to learn about Renaissance period art or, you know, Dadaism in Europe. I'm trying to learn about African art. Now, it's a big space. Mm. And, of course, if you, the whole of Africa is a large continent. So you pick on the one you're most interested in. Nigeria's art as well is huge. There's a lot of Nigerian artists. There's a lot of history in there. Read lots of books. Pick lots of periods. Pick movements. And the knowledge came just yeah. by wanting to know. Lowest point? In the old thing? Yeah. Uh, every time I look at my accounts. Just, <laughs> uh, am I still not breaking bread like this? <laughs> the finance just brings that element of reality that just makes it a bit of a day job. But I think there's there's a mixture between, I guess, your perception of success like in terms of breaking bread. Yes. And there is turning something like Tafeta into something that you make a living out of. Look, I, I hate to exaggerate. Of course, I've made a living out of it. But I come from, remember, I'm doing regulatory reporting for some of the biggest banks in the world. Yeah. Right? You see the numbers. You see what quarterly profit looks like. You know, you see HSBC making 14 billion a quarter. Yeah. And then you, you see your own numbers <laughs> and think, well, these people don't have two heads. So is that, that you know, exaggerated view of wealth? Yeah. Just in, in sheer numbers. But I think that this, I used to judge some of the business. But I think I'm this is now. the thing that affects yeah. our culture, right? It Where does. Yeah. as SMEs, we need to be in our space, actually. We need yeah. to be a lot more honest. I'm more modest in our aspirations as well. And yes. what those numbers look like. Yes. So yeah. you're not going to go off and become the next gallery, mm -hmm. represent the next cool artist. Mm -hmm. And be pulling an HSBC number. No, I, I, yes, you're right. You know, about that, yeah. like you're going to have to put in the work, mm -hmm, the time, mm -hmm. but notwithstanding. And I think even though you try and articulate this, mm -hmm. you know, to younger people or when people come and ask you questions, right? Because yes. we all try and articulate it and go, yes. maybe that's not how it looks. The reality of it, though, is it's almost like I, I liken it to a tap, you know, mm -hmm. the drip feed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It starts literally yeah. <laughs> drop by drop. Yeah. And 
without the special ingredient and everyone says passion mm -hmm. some people say uh, commitment some people say momentum mm -hmm. everyone has a different version of that i think that's the most critical element what you've said you have to define your own version of success mm. that you could wake up to at six in the morning and say okay i'm okay i'm doing well enough you know i'm not going to shut down the business now mine is simple i, I want continuity i want tafeta to be existing when my kids grow up to take over you know, a business or do whatever they want to like. I want them to have an option to even look at the business as something they could consider. You know, based on what I'm saying now, it's unlikely because <laughs> they're calling me a shopkeeper dismissively. <laughs> so, so daddy is a shopkeeper. Daddy is a shopkeeper. So, you know, but you want that shop to be around when they, they're you know, yeah. of age. So for me, it's about just staying in business. Yeah. Being a going concerned. Yeah. Not, you know, running into trouble. You know, dealing with the cash flow issues as you have to deal with, yeah. try and grow year on year, supporting my artist. Mm -hmm. You know, they come to me with their own stories of need as well. And this is the thing about our businesses mm. because you are a home. Yes. To not just your employees. Yes. But also to your artists and your customers. In fact, I used to look at myself as, you know, minimal. I employed a minimal amount of people until I realized that I actually have like four artists sign up to me exclusively. So all the income they make. It's actually from, from Tafeta's grind. And I never looked at them as employees because they're not. Mm -hmm. But still, they are a responsibility that the business has to take on board. And the work you do yes. touches more families and lives mm. than you even realize. Especially when you bring the whole Africa angle into the situation. We all know about the reparations of money back to the continent. It's, 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 it's bigger than the actual invested amount onto the continent. So the amount of money diaspora Af Africans send back home is actually bigger than the collective investment into the continent. So we are nearly, as this thought culture individuals, also looking after... A, 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 we're taking on a greater responsibility. I think so. Um, I think we, we realize. we're at a precipice in terms mm. of changing, I guess, colonialism, post-colonialism mm. Africa mm. into this new version of having the world almost close enough that you can touch it. Mm. Mm. Um, now, I want to take I, you... Okay, sorry, go. I was going to say take something yeah. I said and just... Although I do believe that we are that important in terms of how much money we're challenging back home, mm. right? But it's also give and take. Now, the reality is that Africa is going to rise because Africans in Africa take responsibility and do absolutely the right things. And, you know, God willing, they're in the right direction. Um, but someone like me as well, personally, I've always sold to Africans mm. in Africa. The vast majority of my collectors actually live on the continent. So whilst I see, you know, the the ease of doing business in the UK and seeing it and seeing that there's a structure that allows me to set up a gallery in London, central London, and operate from there. The wealth that actually sustains that gallery, a lot of it comes from the continent. And this is another thing, like yeah. my business, yeah. Malay is very much on the continent, yes. is, is my bread and butter. Absolutely, yeah. I do see our place in the first world or mm. global world as you know those women who this in the mornings first thing in the morning you see them with the broom mm. sweeping mm. yeah 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 on the i feel like that is our place mm. in in terms of shining light in our different industries yeah and we are almost the people who are going to sweep all the debris out the way <laughs> yeah 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 so and and coming out going okay now the day can start yeah yeah, yeah. because we are stumbling mm -hmm. we are learning on the job essentially mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
what's most important actually about that journey I find is that because of that, there are things like Artex mm, mm. and 154 mm -hmm. and all of these things that came after. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the webbing of these journeys mm -hmm. and, and how they've influenced, because without the Tafetas and I, would, I wouldn't put in the Goodmans and, and those, because the South African landscape is completely different. It is a different ecosystem, um, yeah. But without that, the diversity that exists in the industry now mm -hmm. wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So 154 being the biggest African art fair, contemporary yep. art fair mm -hmm. out there at the moment, mm -hmm. and Toria being one of our guests on the show. But I think before that, mm -hmm. there was something else. And we need more of that. I always say I am one of the, I'm always confident in the fact that I need competition. We need because we start before we start talking about market share, there has to be a marketplace. Uh, we're just, but we don't have it yet. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I always find need, those conversations premature. Yeah, yeah, you need a critical mass to create a market share before you start carving up that market. Yeah. Right now, how many African-owned dealer um, dealership are there out there? Not enough. So I mentor people. I people ask me, "Oh, do you, should I open a gallery?" I'm like, "Absolutely, do that." Shop so that we can create you, this please. critical mass of att that attracts the people that we're trying to sell to. Yeah. And then we can start talking about, then we can get competitive. Yeah. Right now, it's still early days. I'm very much in support of what Turia is doing. Yes. And I've done enough of that fair, um, those fairs yeah. because of that. Artex, I'm passionate about doing Artex every yes. year, you know, because I think we need that art fair in Lagos. Of course, we need more structures in Lagos. We need museum spaces built up. We need um, a, a great, a more art infrastructure set up. But by doing our part, those things are going to come as well. Very excited about a few museums opening up in Lagos in the next one year. Very excited. I think the collaborative element of what we all do now, mm. you know, I've launched a product in your gallery space. Yes, you are. Um, and I think... And you kindly left the um, air freshener, which we still <laughs> air use. Air freshener. <laughs> Sorry, is that not what it's called? I mean, room mist. Room mist, please. Give us small class. I think we've we've the collaborative nature of how we work yes. or are working is such a great thing. I think before we kind of you know digress into air freshness, um, listing out some of your biggest achievements, Bonhams, Christie's. I think you've worked we with. We haven't worked with Christie's. Actually. Sotheby's, you've but done. Yeah, sorry. we sold um, at Sotheby's regularly. Um, the fairs we've done, the Amri Show in in. Um, in New York, um, we've done a few successful fairs. We've broken some, well, like, well, what I like to think as some critically important artists to the, to the canon now in terms of people we represent. We've taken Yinka to Lagos. Nice. Um, managed to actually sell him to Nigerian collectors as well. Lovely. I mean, even he's a global superstar. So we have different kind of like key points that we've, you know, we've achieved. Next year, I think people hear this first, but we're showing at Showcase Lovely. in Tefraf, um, the fair in Mass And what's, what's the date? Uh, March. Nice. Um, and that's a big deal. It's a game changer for Huge. You've done um, Saudi. You've done Middle East. We've shown Saudi artists at the gallery in collaboration with uh, a friendly Saudi um, gallerist, um, Enas. I think we'll show Nigerian artists in Saudi. Nice. For sure. We've shown we've done Dubai. We like that region. Yeah. Um, they're quite receptive. They've always understood the continent. We went as far as Hong Kong for a fair last year. Mm -hmm. So we're trying, always trying to break new regional ground. Would you say you can attest to your mobility being a part of your success? Um, yes, and that's down to how nimble we are. 
we're a small team. So if I want to do a fair in Hong Kong, you know, I could decide very quickly with my directors and say, okay, we are doing that. We'll put the money aside and we, we can gamble or be as, um, you know, it's yeah, a bit of a gamble because you're paying for the fair in advance of showing the works at all. And some of the artists you're taking to China are not known in that part of the world. Speaking of investors, yes, because uh, everyone likes to know that part. Mm. A business like yours, it's all self-funded from the beginning. Um, I took maybe like minimal investment, like ten percent from two friends in the early days, and they're quite happy with it. One of them is our mutual friends, actually, surprisingly. Yes, yeah, but it's the most um, what did I say, laid-back investor there is. <laughs> I don't think he remembers where his money has gone. Um, and I think that's sometimes we're in the era of raise VC money. Mm. And I don't know any one of us mm. who are seemingly successful in our industries, third mm. culture African, mm. African entrepreneurs or creatives or artists who has that kind of money behind them. The younger guys seem to be better at it than we are. And it also depends on the space. So I was looking at the, um, what's it called? Um, Fintech space, for example. Yeah. And how much money that is getting poured by VCs into fintech in Lagos and Kenya. And you look at the directors or the founders of those companies, they're all sub 40. Yeah. I mean, some of them are sub 30. It's, yeah. it's, it, I think the world has changed in that respect. I mean, if I was given a choice to go and get VC money started at gallery, I don't think VCs are going to pay very much attention to me. And I think me. this yeah. is the thing. I think yeah. back to your mom saying... I want to be an artist and yeah. your dad going, eh, how are you going to eat type yeah. of thing? There was a level of pragmatism to what he said that, you know, that I took on board now. Yeah. I'm sorry. It might look like it was limiting our ambition. Yes. And we don't know how it played out. It might have been, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't know the uh, as an artist. But there is a, there's that, when I came out of finance as well, mm-hmm. there was no consideration of going to go and take investor money to the tune of a million or two million dollars set up a gallery. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of African wealth, but none of them would have written that check back then. Absolutely none. And it's interesting to see them... As collectors now. Yes. So that's their own element of support. They can be a throwaway spend on something they like that I advise them or is a status buy or is just a beautiful gift. But it's not... They didn't see it as an investment vehicle back then. But is art about investment? For me, it's not. It's possible you could make a lot of money buying art and selling it down the line, most likely cross-generational. Um, the numbers are there for everybody to see. I think the what's um, the Da Vinci that sold for four fifty million was bought for I don't know initially for five or something. A few generations exactly. later, though. I have a particular Benny Wong, an African artist, yes, who was sold for seven hundred and eighty pounds. Mm. at Christie's in 2004 mm-hmm. that is now that same piece is listed at $300,000 today nice right so yes those numbers attest to vast returns like 15 years later exactly well, you know those are massive that's 780 pounds what my friend yeah. called cash machine money yeah. <laughs> $300,000 yeah, that's real estate returns exactly right? I think even more yeah you know in that time span mm-hmm. um, and then of course you cannot sell a house for four fifty million dollars. No, you know I don't think. It's I think never happened. lose a zero. It's possible somewhere <laughs> exactly, in America. Yeah. You know, you can, you can end up with like fifty acres of land yeah, and exactly, horses exactly. and but a ranch, Neverland maybe of Da Vinci. It's you know, yeah. You can take that Da Vinci as hand luggage. So it's that vast return, mm-hmm. real term, real life return that makes people think, yes, surely an investment vehicle. But the reality is that most of the art people buy 
they're never going to sell. Most of the art people buy, they never want to sell, mm. right? The people collect for different reasons. Yeah. And if you're collecting from just the sheer numbers alone, if you set up an art fund just to buy and sell, you have to be very specific about what you're doing. Yeah. And in that situation, you probably have to put a lot of money on the table to make a lot of money. Yeah, because then it's like everything else, right? Yes, absolutely. Because essentially you're trading. Yeah, then you buy Picasso and you're sure it's a safe bet. Because you, you know it's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to do what it's going to do. The industry in your perspective, as, as someone who's at the forefront of, because I think you have people who appreciate the art, mm. people who want to get involved in the scene. Yes. And then you have people who either are looking at it through investment and then you have your clients yes. who, who enjoy the art yes. so they consume it. And potentially we have all four of these people, yeah. right, exist mm -hmm. in, in our culture and in our societies. Yes. For each of them, where do you find the industry now? For starters, they can all be catered to. Mm. You know, there's a breadth of artistic production in Africa that caters to each of those artists, collector group, mm -hmm. rather. If you want a young, dynamic artist, there are people I can recommend. If you want a surefire investment vehicle, you're probably looking at some of the modernists like Ben Wong or the South African or El Salai Ibrahim you know, or Elanatsui, you know, you're going to pay money. It's very likely you're going to sell that for much more down the line. If it's more of a, you want to collect by numbers, again, there's a lot of art to buy. If you want to own a private museum down the line, there's a way we could guide you to do that. So it's a big continent. Mm. And because of the sheer numbers of art being made on that continent, you're right, it allows us to actually cater to a vast number of collective group. Each person has to take advice though. And we have to know that they know what they want before we can tell them what we think they should do. I think what I enjoy the most about this time is the fact that for the first time, probably pre since colonialism, mm. we now have art that's documenting our time. Mm, the contemporary issues. Yeah, yeah. It happened post colonial Africa as well, though. Very for excitedly short for a period, short period short before period the of time. Yeah. yeah, especially in Nigeria when the the military intervention came about and art just became practically a non-entity. But yeah, that's just pre-independence with the Imbari group in Nigeria to post-independence with Benin and um, the Zaria rebels. And you know that was very exciting times for me. It's the time I was look back to. Say, and I think a lot of artists look back to that time. Yes, because it was also documented. Yeah, one and two, there were theoretical aspirations they formed groups and said this is what we want to do as a collective and this is what we want to achieve we want to integrate you know cultural nuance from an african perspective into new ways of making art mm -hmm. from a western perspective you know people, groups like that existed they said what they wanted to do and it was cross-continental and it was quite pan-african very yeah, much I remember so. people like Festac, well, sorry, things like Festac. Very much so. You know, and I say examples of Jacob Lawrence, the African-American artist, going to Nigeria in 1964 and living there for two years. You know, and um, there was this particular event that happened that he was there, Nina Simone was a performing artist, and Benny Wong was a special guest of honor. Yeah, I've just recently been delving into, um, I guess, more historical time in yeah. our culture. Yeah. And 
what's so interesting is there was that period yes. and then there was this huge devalue devaluing law, yes. of everything yeah yeah it was almost instant yes and how you go from the rise of a voice mm -hmm. because these were voices coming to the fore at yes. the time mm -hmm. and i don't know if you come across these books african ceremonies african twilight mm. oh, yeah. um, okay. amazing twilight, coffee table books yes documenting our history mm. and traditional rights that are now almost becoming obsolete mm. because we are now evolving into this modern world. It is, but again, back to your first point, these are exciting times. Again. Because, again, because those things have been looked at again. But the, the beauty of now is that they're being looked at from a global perspective. So there is a black world suddenly where you have people, you know, of African descent in Norway, in Denmark, trying to reconnect with their, you know, presidents in Ethiopia. You know, you have the music industry in America and how intertwined they're becoming with Afrobeats in Nigeria. Yeah. So all those things are happening now. You have um, artists in South Africa whose biggest collector base is in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Funnily thinking... enough, we got one of his pieces. Um, I, we, I, we have one of his early commission piece, actually. Fantastic. Which is incredible. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> it was a gift. Yeah. So it's all, um, by, it's, by it's dear all friend. that is happening yeah. now. That's, but it didn't start now. It happened before, like you said. Yeah. And you know, it just, something big... stopped. Well, I, you know, politics happened on the continent. And then we became commercial. And it wasn't, it wasn't about... Yeah. It wasn't about, okay, let's look at, let's say, for instance, the age of fella, yes. right? It was about having a voice yes. and having some sort of controversy to Absolutely. fight against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with art now, we've had challenges economically yeah. and socially. Yes. But it doesn't in the same place as it did then. Uh, fella is always a terrible example, isn't it? Because yeah. there's no repeating fella. <laughs> yeah, but I think looking at creativity, right, yes. in our space. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember going to the Wizkid concert yes. and David O's concerts. Because yes. again, in the same way that your clients will support and buy a piece of art, yes. I'm passionate about supporting. I come to your yeah, things, I've, we've bought yeah. works from you. Um, and I sat there thinking there's a 13 or 14 year old in this audience mm -hmm. and they can see that this is possible. Yes, yeah. There's a mainstreaming happening. When yeah. we started... yeah. It wasn't possible. <laughs> we were the one. And even now I, I go to, and I'm sure the same with you, when you're in world stage events. Yes, I think at the best then, if I looked at art dealing as a profession, my aspiration would have been limited to one or two dealers I knew in Lagos. Yeah. There was no Larry Gagosian of African descent I could look at. Absolutely not. No, no white cube. No, I mean, white what? <laughs> There's absolutely no chance. Um, so you had to, and I didn't want to look at Stevenson and Goodman, the South African gallery. What they've done is very impressive. But like you said, the South African space was a very different space. Different landscape. Different, def, completely different landscape. And I didn't even think that was actually viable as well. You know, um, for me, it's trying to sell West African art in London. So yeah, I could look at non-African dealers. You know, I particularly liked Aquavela in New York. And I always look at their programming and think, oh, look how beautifully these guys have missed modernism and contemporary art. But I couldn't look at a specific example of my own kind. Um, now, you you know, they're good galleries owned by black people globally. And also, it was also a lack of knowledge, I have to say. Because there are African-American dealers 
that had operated in the 20s and 40s and 50s, but that I was not familiar with. I'm only beginning to know now. Some of them I actually follow now on Instagram. Nice. People that have been dealing for, for years and years. Um, and then you start to think, okay, now I know if I, what I know now, if I knew then, I would have had maybe different types of mentorship sets. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a different profession, it's different. If you're a doctor, a neurosurgeon, a banker, there was always one person to look at then. We're operating in spaces that are slightly more new. Hopefully through Third Culture Africans, the podcast, there, there will be some documentation that yes. someone can listen to this episode and take from it some yes. of these inspirations. Yeah. And it's not to say that in the traditional fields, when I say traditional, traditional fields of successful Africans, the lawyers, the bankers, the engineers, it's not to say black children don't need mentorship. They still need people to look up to, to aspire to. So to all culture Africans, it's important to that more, what's the space we're in, just more... Conversational. No, well, and I mean, just that non-traditional route to making a yeah. success of yourself. Um, but, you know, someone's podcasts are necessary from this perspective. Just say, okay, if you're a banker, you should look at people like Vernon Jordan or Bayo Gunlisi in New York. You know, if you're a lawyer, these are the people you can aspire to. Yeah. It's important to actually see people that look like you yeah. doing well. Whiskey and David is a phenomenal example for the young as well. They Insane. put in the grind and they're successful because they work hard. Yeah. You know, and they could have started. I, I remember telling someone that of the cultural space, the visual arts is a poor cousin. Yeah. Music, film, theater, even. Seemingly so. Yes, because just the rich of those guys. Nollywood is consumed everywhere, you know. Um, Afrobeats is just mainstreamed. There's but I, no I think the evolution of those industries mm. is making room for more industries. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think historically that's always been the case. Yes. Yeah, those yeah. are the guys through their art. Yes. Those are the guys that break ground. Yeah. I think literature started it off for us with people like Chino Achebe and Wale Shoinka. Yeah. And then Fela came and did music. And without Fela, there's no David for sure. Yeah. They might not have the same messaging in their music. But no burner boy even absolutely you know, you know did you see his his wembley show i thought that was insane i didn't but i know he's been nominated for the grammy yeah which is impressive insane you know? yeah, yes, it i is, think so. we, we need to i guess the question being is do you see visual because you see european artists do this where they cross over mm. and their collaborations between visual arts mm. and an artist for instance mm. do you see that happening in the african space are you asking me that if i want to like do some small collabo with <laughs> whiskey you know that could be it <laughs> if only to just fly private jets off another place it'd be a good look <laughs> <laughs> no but it, 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 it has it been possible. done in other spaces, it right? Is. Uh, you see fashion and arts doing a lot on this side of the world. Yeah. And again, that's another space that is doing very well yeah. locally. Um, yes, they're always... You have to plan the collaborations as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have an equal element of um, ideas mm. when you're coming in. Mm. It doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works very well. Yeah. You know, but yeah, there, there are things we look at. There are people we talk to all the time there. Across that spectrum of, you know, visual, film, art, a simple example would be that the more of the movies being made on the yeah. continent, the higher the production quality is, mm-hmm. the more we're inclined to say, okay, well, can we lend some art pieces yeah. to the sets? But we're right. also seeing now, though, in, I guess, our, I guess, the people who are ahead of us, right? Mm. You're seeing this in shows. You're seeing at shows. Oh, You're seeing happened. this in, yeah, incorporated. It's, absolutely. It's happening very much in the um, 
TV productions in the States, for example. Yeah. You know, where you look at the, the movies and you know that each artist has got a placement. You yes. know, product placement from the visual arts perspective is it become more common in mainstream television yeah. in America. Um, so, yeah, it, it can happen. It will happen. But for, I'm not going to call up the phone and just, hey, they'll be doing stuff. Hey, <laughs> have you heard of Tafeta? <laughs> <laughs> Give us a ring. I think they have, actually, surprisingly. They probably yeah, have. Yeah, I know, them. I know, I, I know I, his I manager. See, I see it. I see it coming. Yeah. yeah it, it, I see it, it coming. Come. And it when it come. happens, you have to call me. You owe me Absolutely, a drink. Absolutely, yeah. Watch, watch you owe me a drink. Video. I'll give you some of my gig of bread and tea. <laughs> I, well, that's a deal then. <laughs> <laughs> that's an absolute deal. Um, I like to end each show on a high. Yes, please. And you're biggest or your I made it moment? Um, I did go to Davos in 2015. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know. As Tefeta? Yeah. Um, as myself, actually. Um, it was a nice. panel called The Future of the Art World. Uh, I think it's it's important because I did not know how important the World Economic Forum was until I got back. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody you were just happy for an invite to Davos. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I so, think. So, yeah, no, but I think really that's just Outworld. He acts very well for the news. But my biggest success is the artists have mainstreamed. Yeah. The young artists I've worked with that nobody knew. I didn't know. They didn't know how far they were going to go. And now we're talking about placing them in museums, showing them everywhere. Your Babaji days. Yeah, your... the knees, the yeah. Kichi. Ridike, we just you know started working with recently and just placed at a American museum this year alone. So we're you know we're quite proud of that. Those are our moments, and they come regularly. Fabulous. And if you had to leave a nugget for a lawyer who's an aspiring artist, or a consultant in you know one of the firms who wants to do something. Mm. with their money what would you what truly would you say? truly um save up more before you cross over you're gonna need the cash base it's not it's never easy running a business don't thug it out like we did <laughs> don't <laughs> what's the point don't thug it out no save up more put some more liquidity aside you're gonna have to deal with cash flow situations in any business the more of a buffer you have the better so even though if you i mean if you hate your day job what does it matter Keep grinding, keep doing what you do properly and save the cash that you're going to need later. And how do they find you if they need some art advice, need to know uh, what Come to, to the do? gallery. Where our website is there, um, tafeta.com with a single F. So please just show up. And social media? Are you a social media guy? Art underscore tafeta for Instagram, but that's it. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for you coming so much, on to Third, Af- Third Culture Africans. I've forgotten my show. Goodness. Yeah, sorry. Room mist, right? Yeah, room mist. Room mist, not air freshener. Thank you very much, Ayo. Thanks again. Bye. You can catch Tafeta at the Armory Show in New York in March 2020, as well as TFAF in Netherlands and Art Dubai, all in March 2020. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.